National coverage of America's greatest sport. Join us for bi-weekly episodes throughout the season, and remember to subscribe and rate or review the show wherever you get your podcast. If you would like to contact the show, please email us at ultimatecfbpod at gmail.com or via Twitter at cfb underscore ultimate. Welcome back to the Ultimate College Football Podcast, as today we take a look at the four FBS independent schools uh, for the upcoming 2023 season. And of course, you've got familiar names at the independent ranks, the historical independents, Notre Dame and Army, as well as two Northeastern schools, Connecticut and Massachusetts. So only four independents this year in college football. That is due to conference realignment. Some former independents did find conference homes. Notre Dame and Army, of course, value independence, and there are reasons that they prefer to be independent, both recruit nationally, Army of trying to get uh, military recruits. Uh, they, of course, are not tied into just one region, even though they are in the Northeast, and Notre Dame has national appeal, one of the historic and contemporary college football powers, and they, of course, like being able to play in front of their national fan base and into a lot of different areas that they recruit to. So, uh, Notre Dame and Army, uh, historical independence, that makes sense from their perspective why they are independent. Uh, for UMass, in Yukon, uh, it's a little bit different. In Massachusetts, uh, there's really no natural conference for them. They were kicked out of the MAC a while back, and no other conference is really in uh, their vicinity. Even the MAC, it's a little bit of a stretch, although it works uh, geographically better than probably the other Group of Five conferences. But UMass, just at this point in time, doesn't add a whole lot to these other Group of Five conferences, which is why the Minutemen have not been able to find a conference home uh, of one or were to uh, emerge, I think the Minutemen would jump at that. For Connecticut, uh, they willingly left the American Athletic Conference, considered the top group of five conference, uh, for independence because uh, they were trying to get back to their basketball roots in the Big East, and that has seemingly paid off for them, at least from a uh, broader athletic perspective, as the Huskies did just win the national championship in men's basketball. They are a basketball school, and the Big E certainly provides in their other sports, uh, you know, more of a regional uh, fit. They have more history uh, with those schools, but the American Athletic Conference, you're traveling across the nation. It's a a pretty broad geographic conference, and it's with teams that uh, they didn't necessarily have a ton of history with. So it is a sacrifice for the football team, though, uh, because Connecticut doesn't really have a lot to play for outside of just bowl eligibility, and regardless of how good your season is, uh, your quality of bowl game isn't going to change that much. That's part of the reason why in today's day and age, I don't think independence is really preferable. Uh, You could argue for anyone, but especially for teams that are more at the group of five level, Connecticut, uh, what they do have going for them is the fact that since they are an independent, they have some flexibility with their schedule, and they are still a prominent enough name that they can get decent non-conference games, even some uh, home-and-homes with 
uh, Power 5 schools, particularly more in the ACC. So Connecticut has maybe a better schedule than independent than when they were in the AAC. Uh, for UMass, that's not really the case. But enough with that, we're going to jump into uh, our team previews, and we're going to begin with Notre Dame. Uh, the Fighting Irish are entering year two under Marcus Freeman, and the jury is still out on Marcus Freeman as a head coach. Uh, he brought a lot of energy to the program. A lot of people thought that under Brian Kelly, for all the success that he had, the program had kind of reached its ceiling under his direction, which very well and probably was the case. Uh, but they uh, no longer have Brian Kelly, who undoubtedly was and is an excellent head coach. And now they're bringing in a very different coach, Marcus Freeman, who uh, really uh, created a lot of excitement because of just his personality, very night and day different than Brian Kelly, who is a little bit more a stoic, uh, you can argue distant and cold potentially, while Marcus Freeman uh, is not that way at all. And that attracts recruits. Uh, Notre Dame under Freeman has seen her recruiting improve. And that, uh, especially a year ago around this time, was creating a lot of excitement as they had a top five class, but they were unable to actually land some of their high-end commitments come signing day. And so while Notre Dame still got a very good class and recruiting is uh, looking up, certainly for the Irish under Freeman, uh, they're still not quite getting over the hump on the recruiting ground compared at least to teams who are winning the national championship. And that is Notre Dame's ultimate goal, of course. So it will be interesting to monitor if uh, Marcus Freeman can continue to improve the recruiting efforts as far as on the field is concerned. I was a little disappointed by Freeman's first season. He inherited a really strong roster. Uh, the team before him won 11 games, was on the doorstep of the playoff this past team. Certainly didn't have a bad year. They went 9-4, and four, uh, but they had a worse record than I think they probably should have based on the team that they fielded. It is it's hard, however, to read too much into Freeman's first season since it was his first year as a head coach. There oftentimes is some growing pains, and so we will see if he ends up uh, having a lot of success as the indie head coach. And he would have had really a very strong first year if he won the games he was supposed to. There were two really shocking, even in hindsight, probably more so shocking, uh, upset losses. Notre Dame uh, fell victim to last year of losses to Marshall and Stanford, two teams that were not very good, uh, both home losses for the Irish. So that will be something interesting to monitor under Brian Kelly. Notre Dame did very good, uh, a very good job, I should say, of beating teams they were supposed to beat. Uh, their struggles was in uh, competing and defeating some of the higher echelon teams of college football. For Marcus Freeman, we'll see if uh, they can get a little bit more consistent in that regard. One of the big storylines for the Irish this year is the new offensive coordinator hire as Tommy Reese, a former Notre Dame quarterback. He left to become the Alabama OC. Uh, Tommy Reese wasn't always liked by the fan base as an offensive coordinator. There was a lot of criticism, and uh, his offenses weren't overly productive. So a lot of people weren't necessarily sad to see him go, although he is a very respected OC uh, by his uh 
peers at the uh, you know the college level, and that's evidenced by Saban hiring Tommy Reese. Uh, but Notre Dame had a pretty publicized uh, search for their new OC position, and despite bringing in uh, some prominent names like Utah's offensive coordinator, uh, who was seen publicly on campus with Marcus Freeman at a Notre Dame sporting event, uh, they did not hire any of these bigger names. And according to reports, at least, part of the reason for that is because the Irish administration uh, decided not to pony up to buy out these coaches' salaries, which is a little bit concerning if you're a Notre Dame fan, that the Notre Dame administration maybe isn't doing all that is necessary to compete at the highest level. So there is a feeling that Notre Dame kind of settled with their offensive coordinator hire as they promoted a guy already on staff, their tight end coach, Gerald Parker, who certainly was a very good tight end coach for them. Uh, but his uh, previous tenure as an offensive coordinator, which was the 2020 season with West Virginia, he certainly didn't produce a stellar offense. Now, he didn't have great personnel around him. Uh, but uh, coaching hire, or at least on paper, does leave some to be desired at this point in time. Uh, we will have to see how it works out. Uh, but uh, it certainly wasn't a home run that a lot of people were hoping, particularly fighting Irish fans. That being said, there is some optimism that the offense, which has been pretty mediocre, uh, especially last season, uh, that it might take a step forward this year. That's in large part because Notre Dame got a really big win in the transfer portal, getting Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. Hartman is a multi-year starter uh, for the Demon Deacons, did a great job operating that slow mesh attack the Demon Deacons run and was very successful. And he is certainly uh, the best quarterback, it would seem, that uh, Notre Dame has had going back to, you know, maybe Jimmy Clausen. It's hard really to tell, but the quarterback position has not been an area of strength uh, for the Fighting Irish for the most part, even uh, with the success they enjoyed under Brian Kelly. Certainly, you know, Ian Book was a pretty bright spot, but still, I think Sam Hartman has a higher ceiling than Book, and it'll be interesting to see what this offense looks like with Hartman under center. He has experience in a spread system. Are they going to incorporate maybe some more spread concepts, some more passing down the field, which he certainly provides with his skill set. If that does end up translating uh, to the Field this year that is going to really give this offense a facelift as the passing game in particular has been a struggle, uh, but it hasn't just been because of the quarterback position. The wide receiver room hasn't really been up to par, so even though you are improving at quarterback, you still need the wide receivers to do their job, and you are losing arguably the top tight end in college football and Michael Mayer, who's now uh, playing on Sundays, so that's a big loss. Uh, one a position group that you know is going to be money for the Fighting Irish is their offensive line, which has been the norm in recent years, and that should be once again. They are led by a guy who's probably going to be an All-American and left tackle Joe Alt, and probably a top 10 pick in the next draft. And he certainly isn't the only really stellar offensive lineman. Uh, some other notable guys at center, Zeke Cornell, and then the right tackle, Blake Fisher. So this is a very strong offensive line, should provide good protection, uh, should be very good at run blocking. So the running game uh, should be at least adequate and could be quite good. The question is, can you be a little bit more of a complementary offense? Can uh, people like Michael Evans step up to replace Michael Mayer? 
Can Lorenzo Styles Jr. be a go-to man on the perimeter? All those things are to be determined at this point in time, uh, but at the very least, having Hartman uh, does give you more optimism about this Notre Dame offense, and if the offense can be reliable, this Notre Dame team could have a bounce-back season this year, and they could contend for 10 wins in the regular season, potentially a spot in the New Year's Six, and maybe even a playoff spot. An obstacle for the Irish is that the schedule uh, isn't the easiest, let's put it that way. You've got three uh, pretty challenging games. You've got Ohio State coming to town September 23rd, uh, mid-October the 14th, you host USC, and then you go to Clemson November 4th. So certainly from a playoff perspective, uh, you can potentially you lose one of those, but uh, can't probably lose, or for sure you can't lose two, and maybe even with one, uh, that kind of puts you on uh, defense of the playoff, and even for a major bowl, you know, win two of those, you're in pretty good shape as long as you don't uh, drop uh, more than another game on the schedule. Uh, if you lose two, you've got to go perfect the rest of the way. And of course, if you lose all three, uh, you're not going to be playing in a major bowl game. So the schedule doesn't provide a lot of margin for error. And on top of those three signature games, uh, Notre Dame does have other losable games on the schedule, especially some of their ACC games, which Notre Dame plays uh, several of each year with their deal uh, with the ACC. Uh, they play some pretty competitive ACC schools in week three. They play at NC State. Uh, September 30th, they play at Duke. Uh, they host Pittsburgh in late October, and then second and last week of the season and senior day for Notre Dame, uh, they host Wake Forest, which will be interesting to see uh, Sam Hartman go against his old, old school. Uh, but Notre Dame does play some quality ACC opponents. They're not all you know, ACC bottom feeders. I didn't even mention a road game to Louisville that's on the schedule as well. So it does make uh, for what could be kind of a challenging schedule for Notre Dame. And even if we do see some improvement in year two, won't necessarily be reflected in the overall record. There is, though, quite a bit of optimism in South Bend that this could be a bounce-back year. The Irish did finish last season with a 6-1 and record, and that included that kind of signature win for Marcus Freeman against Clemson, where the Irish routed uh, the Tigers uh, in South Bend to uh, open up November. So the program seems to uh, be headed in a good direction on the field, close the year beating a quality SEC team in South Carolina. Uh, one side of the ball that I do think you can trust for Notre Dame is the defense. Uh, Al Golden is enjoying his second season as the D.C. Uh, under Freeman. He has a very good track record with defenses, and they return a pretty good nucleus from last year as they've got seven starters back. That includes both tackles uh, in the interior defensive line. They do need some guys to emerge on the edge as they lose defensive end Isaiah Folsky, who was a All-American last year. The linebacker room, they have both the Mike and Will linebackers back, and the defensive backs look to be pretty strong as well. Both cornerbacks return, including Benjamin Morrison, and then at safety, they do have to break in a new starter, but DJ Brown is returning uh, in the back half of the defense as well. So overall, I think the defense is going to be pretty reliable. Uh, Notre Dame has had a pretty good track record at defense in recent years. That should continue uh, what is really going to determine if Notre Dame can manage 
what is a tougher schedule this year is going to be the passing game and if the offense uh, can really produce some big play players down the field and if Hartman can do his part he's certainly a very good quarterback but he has at times struggled with some inconsistency and it's not unusual for him to have about a game or two a year where he has a little bit of a meltdown uh, last year infamously in the Louisville game uh, he threw uh, five interceptions uh, and I believe one half in that Wake Forest loss to Louisville so obviously if you do that against almost anyone that could probably doom you and certainly would against some of those tougher teams on Notre Dame's schedule. At special teams, Notre Dame brought in uh, from the transfer portal Spencer Schrader. Uh, he was the kicker at South Florida. He's probably going to be the starting kicker for Notre Dame. And then at punter, they're bringing in a transfer from Penn, uh, Ben Krigram. And then uh, Chris Tyreek, he is back as a returner, and he is a pretty solid returner for the Irish. So Notre Dame, I'm going to be excited to see them this year. Should be uh, undefeated, headed into the Ohio State game, and that's really where they uh, get to make their splash. That's assuming, of course, they beat uh, NC State early in the year. That's certainly a losable game. That Ohio State game looms large and could set up for a massive showdown with USC midseason and then potentially Clemson later in the year. Elsewhere in the independent ranks, Army, they are undergoing a kind of transition offensively. The NCAA uh, continues to clamp down on different types of cut blocks, which is a staple in a lot of option offenses, especially for the service academies who tend to be undersized in the trenches. That's part of the reason why they run the option is because it is a kind of old-fashioned offense, and with that, uh, you don't see it as much. So for a lot of these opponents, particularly in Army's case, playing an independent schedule, they're playing a bunch of new teams that aren't familiar with Army, and so it gives the Black Knights an advantage and that offense, if you're not familiar with it, which most teams are not overly familiar with it in this day and age because of its scarcity, it can be pretty tricky to defend, especially with just one week of preparation. Army is deciding, though, to modernize their option attack a little bit by going primarily out of the shotgun. That gives your quarterback a little bit more room, uh, allows you to implement more passing, or at least it's easier to implement more passing, and the idea is that you can keep this uh, same kind of structure of an option offense, but then just have some different formations out of it, able to kind of open things up a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure if that necessarily is going to help Army or not, uh, but they deem it necessary uh, with the NCAA's continued restriction of cut blocks. So it'll be interesting to see how does Army's option system look this year. Is it as effective as it has been in the past? How effective is it compared to some of the other service academies? like Air Force and Navy, who are not going to be uh, employing the shotgun as much as Army. I'm going to be very excited to see this for the Black Knights and what this experiment ends up looking like. Uh, but for Army, their main goal each year is to be bowl eligible and to win the Commander-in-Chief Trophy, which is, of course, awarded to the best service academy between uh, Air Force, Navy, and Army. And that's, of course, a uh, round-robin uh, rivalry series, if you will, that the three 
three schools play uh, against each other every year is the highlight of the service academy schedule, especially the Army-Navy game uh, for those two respected teams. So those two games are later in the year, November 4th, is the Air Force game uh, played in Denver. And then December 9th, they close against Navy in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Those are the biggest games for Army, uh, but outside of that, uh, there are some interesting games. I'm curious to see how Army matches up with some of the better schools on their schedule. We've got a difficult slate early in the year, September 15th. They play at UTSA, September 23rd at Syracuse, and then October 7th against Boston College, they come to West Point, and actually the difficult stretch continues past that as the 14th, they host Troy, one of the better teams in the Sun Belt, the defending champion of that league, and then the 21st at LSU. So that's a very difficult five-game stretch there for Army, and it's going to be very important for Army to stay healthy during that stretch. Not only could it doom you in that five-game period, but it could potentially uh, cause some problems in the second half of the year if you're still trying to recover. Uh, from injury in certain positions, the bottom could potentially fall out. So there is a scenario that this is one of the worst Army years in some time, as uh, under Greg Munkin, Army has been very consistent. They pretty much always go to a bowl game, and sometimes in the right year, we're challenged for double-digit wins. I think it should be very difficult for them to have that type of season this year. But bowl eligibility is a very realistic goal. I think it's something they should accomplish but there are some challenges to the schedule. And remember, this is a team that did not go to a bowl game last year. They went 6-6, six and six, uh, but two of their wins came against FCS foes. And that is in play this season again, as they've got two FCS opponents in Delaware State and Holy Cross. So it's going to potentially be pretty close for Army once again this year if they can make it to a bowl game or not. It should also be noted that while the offense tends to get most of the attention in West Point because because of the unique system that they run uh, defensively they are losing all-american Andre Carter who was an elite edge rusher for them uh, those type of players don't come through West Point very often uh, but despite that significant loss there are a lot of guys returning defensively with starting experience uh, they returned seven starters on defense uh, and seven on offense as well so this is a pretty experienced team they have the makings of a bowl team but the schedule is a little bit more difficult than what it usually is being an independent army uh, can usually play a schedule that's a little bit easier than Air Force or Navy who play in the Mountain West and American respectively uh, but I don't think that's the case this year for Army and so it's going to be uh, a little bit of a challenge to get to seven wins that's what you're going to need this year uh, but it of course is in play and it is the expectation at West Point. Uh, the other kind of prominent, if you will, independent school outside of Notre Dame is Connecticut. Uh, UConn was kind of a surprise team last year. Uh, they went 6-7, and seven, so still not a great year by any means, but they were a bowl team. And Jim Mora's first season uh, was a marked improvement on what they have performed in recent years. So their debut as an independent uh, was a resounding success, and this is a program uh, that is trying to stay on that same trajectory. I think the schedule is difficult enough that around 6-6 six and six is probably a pretty realistic expectation, uh, but the goal here is just to continue 
continue to make it to bowl games, gradually improve the roster, improve the program in the long run. Uh, but it's going to be a slow process. So just try not to take a step back, try to continue to build, go back to a bowl game. And I think that's in play for Connecticut. Uh, as I said, though, beyond that, I think is a little bit of a stretch because you do have some tough games. You've got NC State, Duke, Boston College and Tennessee on the schedule. They're going to be an underdog in all four. Plus, of course, you've got some group of five games that are certainly losable as well. But six wins definitely within play, and I would expect it offensively. The run game is probably going to be the strength as they return all of their starting offensive linemen, and Victor Rose will be the go-to back. He's a very capable back, taking over from Nathan Carter, who transferred to Michigan State. At quarterback, there is a QB battle between the main transfer, Joseph Farganaro, who a lot of people believe is the favorite to win the job, and then the player who missed most of last season, basically all of last season with injury, but he was the opening day starter, uh, Tuquan Robertson. We'll see how uh, deep into fall camp that competition goes. And on the defensive side of the ball, uh, once again, UConn very experienced up front. They returned their four starting defensive linemen. Uh, they've got their will backer back, and then three of their four uh, starting DBs return as well. So an experienced team, and it'll be interesting to see how do they compete against some of those Power 5 schools on the schedule. Can they maybe narrow the gap between themselves and uh, some of those mid to lower level uh, Power 5 schools? It'll certainly be interesting to watch. Then we're going to wrap it up with another Northeast Independent School in UMass. The Minutemen were maybe the worst team in college football last season, going 1-11. Their only win was against FCS Stony Brook. And in most of UMass's games, they got blown out. Uh, they only had two losses by one possession. So for head coach Don Brown in his second season and his second stint, at UMass. Uh, there's really nowhere to go but up. But once again, when you look at the schedule, I just don't see many winnable games. You've got the FCS game against Merrimack. That game, they're going to be favored in. But outside of that, I think they're underdog in the rest of their games. So it should be a tough game or a tough season for them. Uh, one area where uh, the Minutemen did show progress uh, for Brown in his first season was defensively, which isn't a surprise when you look at uh, Brown's defensive background. He is a very good defensive coach, and uh, they played well uh, on that side of the ball. The key is for the offense uh, to help the defense out. The strength is going to be their offensive line, where they've got four or five starters returning. Uh, but outside of that, the only other returning starter is George Johnson at wideout. So I still expect a pretty rough year for UMass in 2023. So I'll do it for our independent preview. And remember to check in in our next episode as we continue to go through the 10 FBS conferences and preview the 2023 season. Thank you for listening. This is the Ultimate College Football Podcast.